0: Fifteen twenty-two says plans fail without good advice, but they succeed with the advice of many others. That's uh, I learned when I learned that one in the uh, King James says there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. I love that scripture. So that's just something for you. If you're thinking about something important, talk to some people around you that you trust and let them help, help speak into your life about that. When I was um, a little guy, I've told you about this before about the kids in my neighborhood and, and Kathy, the girl who lived behind me who scared me and, and, um, I remember one summer there was a VBS across the street and I didn't get invited and they did this thing over there. And, and uh, after the VBS was over, the kids were all talking about the devil, you know? And um, I just remember this girl, I've told you this before. She told me I was going to go to the devil. She said, you're going to go to the devil and then you're going to go to hell, 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 hell. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what I heard. LAUGHTER and then there's this other thing, there's this horrible prayer that somehow, I don't think we intentionally teach our kids. Maybe we do, I don't know, but we pick it up. I remember picking this prayer up when I was a little kid. If I should die before I wake. Oh, that is a horrible, I mean, think about that. I mean, like, it's, the sentiment is great, but have you thought about that? And then we, we have these other things like stick a needle in my, remember those, of those things? Isn't that creepy? I don't know what that's all about with our kids, but if I should die before I wake. And I'm thinking, okay, this little girl across the street, behind me. He tells me I'm going to go to the devil and I'm going to go to hell, hell. Well, we've started a new... Frank, hi. <laughs> Sorry. We started a new series. Sorry, I haven't seen Frank for a while. It's great to see him. Nice to, nice to connect with you again, Frank. Good to see you, man. Uh, I'm starting a new series last week on what happens after we die. So you're dead. Now What? What's, what's next? And uh, we, t- we, uh, we started by talking about the judgments that were going to happen. One, one that we don't want to be at, one that we do. And uh, today we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the topic of hell. Now, this is not one you advertise in advance. You don't say, hey, come on next week because we're going to talk about hell. In fact, um, it's, a, it's a hard subject. Most churches kind of avoid it. I'm not really excited to talk about this. I can tell you today, you know, I'm, I like to... Um, I like to start the sermons out, and I like to start with something light and you know, maybe tell a few jokes, but I don't feel like joking about this because it's not that funny, but, but I'm not mature enough to not joke about something. You know? The problem is this. All the good jokes, there's not that many good jokes about hell, but the ones that I know that are funny are either about a mother-in-law or a cat. Okay? And since my mother is a mother-in-law and my wife is a mother-in-law, okay, that takes out half the jokes at least. And then, since there are a few people here that I know, love cats, um, it always I, there's always a amount of restraint here that other, this is probably really healthy for me. You know, but I do love a good cat joke, um, because it's common knowledge. Everybody knows that cats are actually inferior to dogs. But <laughs> come on, it's just a fact. You know that. I mean, I'll, I'll give you some. Biblical evidence later today, we'll talk about that. But, but just to set the record straight, so that I have the authority, I want you to know that I have a cat, and so I have some permission to go ahead and put that picture up. I have some reason why it's okay for me. Here's Molly talking to me, and I got you know Stormy there on my lap. In fact, I thought, okay, um, that's enough of Stormy. I thought, you know, it would be good for you, I hope nobody here has a cat allergy, because I thought I'd introduce you to Stormy, she likes worship music, come here honey. Come here, honey. There we go. The perfect cat. <laughs> I I got you, didn't I? It's like, honey, your turn to babysit Stormy. Okay, that's as close. I mean, I actually did have a cat named Stormy. My family did. A long time ago, do you remember Stormy, mom? You don't? Last cat we had... Stormy was a black cat with this white flash, nice little cat, um, and I have my little sister Lisa, who is a few years younger than me, and I think she might have been about three um, or so, isn't that about, Lisa told me that's the age when kids start deciding to cut hair, about age three, something like that, so I think she was probably around three, and my parents found her in the bathroom, and she had Stormy all lathered up, had my dad's safety razor, and was about ready to give the cat a shave. (laughs) I don't remember what happened to Stormy after that, but I don't think we've had a cat since Stormy. Anyway, <laughs> we should probably get back to the topic today. And, and um, there are some surveys out there that, just, that will test what people think and believe. And I'm kind of curious about those things, so I spent some time kind of studying them out. And uh, the, the, the numbers vary some, but here's some typical numbers about Americans. Americans, 74% of us believe in heaven, but only 40% of us believe in hell, which is kind of an example of our cafeteria Christianity that's common in America. I, I like that part of the Bible. I'll go ahead and believe that. These parts, uh, not so much. I think I'm just not going to accept those. I'll take the good. And I'm going to argue, based on my observations, that the number of people that truly believe in hell is actually probably even smaller than, than that. There were some other interesting polls that I noticed, um, the Harris Poll in 2007 said 82% of Americans believe in God, 75% believe in heaven. Only 42% of Americans believe in Darwin's theory of evolution. Interesting, and that's uh, a rabbit trail, I don't want to go down that right now. Um, there's this company that does these huge surveys called the Pew Foundation or Forum Pew Forum, and they did what they called the U.S. Religious Landscape Survey, 30,000 people, pretty big survey. Um, all of the press different organizations refer to them. It's pretty interesting information that they put out. And they said, uh, okay, here, here are, agree or disagree with these statements. Angels and demons are active in the world today. 68% of people in America agree with that. Angels and demons are doing stuff among us. Interesting. Um, many religions can lead to, to eternal life. 57% of Americans believe that. Here's another question. Do you share your faith with non-believers? The people who answered seldom or never, 47% of Americans, nearly half, when you look at just evangelical Christians, people like us, people that believe in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, salvation by that and by grace alone, um, for us, people who share their faith with non-believers, seldom or never, 30%. And uh, the other seventy percent who do share, it ranges from like once a year to some, some, some with somewhat more frequency. I don't know many of you do, and it's, and it's really good. I was, um, I've been to lots of conferences over the years, and uh, I remember at one time I was at a pastors. I was in a in a meeting with a group of pastors. It was probably thirty or I don't know how many. And the guy up front says, starts talking about hell, and. Um, Question, just an informal poll. How many of you pastors have ever preached a sermon on hell? No hands went up. None. And why? Why, why haven't you? Here, here were some of the answers. Um, I wrote some of these things down. It's out of fear will not appear relevant. These are quotes, by the way. It's pressure from the culture to not speak anything negative. I think we've begun to deny hell. There's an assumption that everybody's going to make it to heaven somehow. Hell is a morally repugnant doctrine. People wonder why God would send people to eternal punishment. So, I guess, you know, hearing all of that, and I guess you could probably figure out why, you might be asking, scratching your head, saying, well, yeah, so smarter people than you, Terry, have decided not to do it. What are you doing? <laughs> why are you going to take this on today? And... Um, uh, I've, I've got a few reasons. I'm just going to tell you why I'm going to do this. And uh, I want you to say, I wanna say to you right now, this is going to be um, the Word of God that we're going to be looking at today. I'm not going to thump my Bible, and I'm not going to threaten you with hell. That's not my style. It's not my mode. I don't think that's the heart of God. But this is a part of the, the whole counsel of God, and that's one of the reasons why I'm doing this. I really believe that it's important that we as a church family, over time, plow our ways through, through the entire counsel of the Word of God. And there are parts in here that are harder, and there are parts that are a blast. And um, yet, the Word of God will never return void, and there are things, good things, that the Lord will do through every bit of the Word of God. So that's one reason. And I think that pretending pretending that hell doesn't exist or just ignoring it doesn't do anybody any good. That kind of an attitude of selectively only listening to parts of the Word short-circuits the Word of God short-circuits the kinds of good things that the Word of God can do in you and in me. A second reason is that I really believe that, that if, if my faith is so weak or if it would become injured by asking any question, that's not good. I, my faith needs to rise and grow to a place where any question is fair to ask. God is never, ever intimidated by our questions, by the way. He never is. He, he wants you, I believe this, He wants you to get right up in his grill and say, hey, what is the deal with this, God? I mean, God. (laughs) I'm not telling you be disrespectful to the Lord. I'm just saying God wants that kind of transparent honesty with his kids. Transparent honesty is a really big deal, I think, to God. Anyway, and then, you know, this is a supernatural topic. I really believe that you know, a, a supernatural topic like hell ignites some supernatural fear in people who don't really understand it. But you and I don't need to be fearful of hell because a supernatural peace is also available and that only comes from trusting in God. Romans fifteen thirteen says this. Now just let this marinate right into your soul before we start. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe we should dip through that one one more time. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with the hope hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What about all those people who say there is no hell? They just decide that they don't believe in it. You know, I, I wish that if I believed in something, that would necessarily make it so. Wouldn't that be nice? I believe my bank account is going to be full to overflowing tomorrow. It's just going to pop open. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if you could believe something and that would make it so? Problem is that when you decide to believe um, something supernatural without some sort of corresponding supernatural evidence, you've got a major problem there. And I, I always encourage people when I get into that discussion, don't risk your eternity based upon the mass opinions of all kinds of people. Get yourself some supernatural evidence to, um, to trust your eternity to. And I, I think, you know, if I was, you know, drafting a way to overcome you, to defeat you, one of my strategies would be this. I would want to convince you that hell is just not real. Or at the very least that it's not that big a deal. Because if you're convinced that it's not real or that it's not a very big deal, two things will happen. One is that people all around the world would feel absolute freedom to reject God with no consequence whatsoever. Mm -hmm. That's one truth. And the second thing is that you would be incredibly unmotivated to share your faith with people who need to hear the good news. Which is one of the reasons that I think more people are ambivalent about hell than the statistics tell us. It's a pretty complicated subject. There's a lot of things in the Word of God that just are not real clear on this. So uh, we're going to kind of try and take a bird's-eye view um, of hell. I mean, we just, from a distance, let's take a look and see what the, what the Word tells us about this. And I think we should start with probably one of the most basic questions, most common questions people would ask about hell. Why does hell exist? You know, why would a loving God allow a place? Why would he create a place like this in the first place? And that very question suggests perhaps that we don't really understand the holiness of God or the horror of sin. And uh, there are some biblical reasons. I'll give you two good biblical reasons that hell exists. The first reason is that hell exists for God to deal righteously with Satan. Um, A lot of people have this perception. That Satan is ruling hell. He stands at the gate and he's got his little tail and his pitchfork, and he gets, you get there, or somebody gets there, and they, he wrings his hands and says, Ha ha, you liked country music. That's what you get. Now here you go. But I like country music, so I'm making, you know, cat lovers over there. No, I'm just, it's not funny anymore, is it? You know, cats. And, or, or they get the perception somehow that somehow Satan is, is locked in this eternal battle with Jesus. And that's not accurate either. Jesus is not in a big battle with Satan. Jesus is to Satan like you and I are to like a mosquito. Satan is a created being. Do you realize that? Satan is, a, is an enemy of somebody like Michael, an archangel. Satan is a created being, just like you and me. A created being. And you think about that and you think, wow, did God mess up? Because this guy turned into a little bit of a problem. He, he chose unwisely. He chose not to worship God. What's he's a creative being like we are? And I think about that. I, when I start thinking about the fact that you and I were created with the free choice to follow God, to reject him, to love God, to hate him, just like Satan was, free choice, I think, I'm so grateful that God made me that way. You know, here's here's an analogy for you. You got a computer, you plug into that computer, the software, it's programmed to run those codes, and if you don't make a mistake, and if something doesn't break, the computer will do exactly, precisely, and only what you tell it to do. It will only do that, and it will do that every single time. That's what a computer will do. Or, you can build yourself a child. And the child will do a lot of things that you teach it. It will pick up some things along the way that you didn't teach it that somebody else taught it. It will pick up some things because of own free will. Sometimes you will be really angered by what that child will choose. But when those moments come and the child looks you in the eye and says, I'm so grateful. I love you. That moment brings so much worth and verifies all of the reasons for free will. Anyway, so... Hell exists for God to deal righteously with Satan. Matthew twenty five forty one. Here's Jesus talking. He says, "Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for whom? Prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was built for the devil and the demons um, that went with him. Second reason is that hell exists for God to deal righteously." with unbelievers. Scripture says this very plainly, and we see this in 2 Thessalonians 1. He will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. How will they be punished? They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. Now, this is very difficult stuff. I want to point out again, though, hell was only created for Satan and the demons. You realize that? Only created for them. Hell was never intended never intended for any of us, ever. Now, here's what I believe about about this and God's heart. I believe that when another soul says to Jesus, no, I don't want anything to do with you. It's the equivalent of Jesus standing in front of the gates of hell saying, please, you do not want to go there. Don't go past me. Stay here in my embrace. And And when the person says, I want nothing to do with you, Jesus, I think the Father reluctantly takes and enlarges the compartment of hell enough to allow just one more because he doesn't want it any bigger. He doesn't want another person in there. Anyway, so most of the rest of our time today, I want to take a look at a story Jesus told and there were two main characters, so let's just dive in there and get into it. Uh, Luke 16, starting in verse 19, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Let's talk about this guy for a minute. You know, He wasn't just regular rich, he was mega rich, and we can get this from some of the wording. It says he ate the finest foods every day. Think about this. You know, You have your favorite maybe restaurant where you go once in a big big while because it's very expensive but the food's really special, maybe a special anniversary or your birthday or when you've really saved up or when somebody else is paying. You know, you get to go to this restaurant. This guy ate like that every single day. And he was dressed in purple and fine linen. And now any piece of clothing that was purple was incredibly expensive because it had to be infused with a dye that was very, 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 very rare. And fine linens, Um, By some accounts, this meant that the guy was so rich that just this single outfit or a single outfit like like this was probably worth enough money to feed a person for a year. It's a lot of money for an outfit. Quite a lot of dough. So this guy was living pretty well. Lifestyles of the rich and famous, I suppose. Okay, so let's meet the second character, uh, verse 20. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Just give me the scraps, he's saying. Even the dogs came and licked his sores, which is entirely gross, okay? I'm not sure why that's in there, except to prove that dogs minister to people in need, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Just saying. There's no cats mentioned in this passage. (laughs) So if you are really rich... You would there would be this bread at the end of your meal, and you would tear off the piece of the bread, and you would use it to wipe your hands down. You would use this bread, and the crumbs would fall on the table, or they might fall in a bowl. And then your servant, because you were so rich, you had servants. Your servant would come and would take that bowl and and toss it out the door to a beggar, or if there was a dog there, then or whatever. I mean, they would toss those crumbs out. Now this rich guy was, you know, he was probably wasn't a real bad guy. He, he was probably a decent guy like you or me. You know, he didn't have this beggar kicked off his property. Hey, get out of here, you know. He didn't do that. He freely let his crumbs, his, these filthy crumbs would be food to this beggar. So there was something in him that was altruistic. Um, but on the other hand, uh, I don't think this guy really knew Christ because he wasn't living out the gospel. He, had this, he, he lived in all of this luxury And very, very, very close to him was someone in desperate need, and he really didn't do anything about it. And so um, I I think that's probably what his issue is. His problem wasn't that he was rich. His problem was that he didn't care about the people around him. He did absolutely nothing about it. So pick the story back up in verse 22. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Now, Now, most people believe that this is a place called paradise, and you uh, probably can remember Jesus on the cross. There were two thieves that were also being put to death. And one of them says, Lord, remember me, and was repenting. And Jesus said to that guy, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise. Now, there's a whole different study about the difference between paradise and Sheol and Hades and all of that. I don't want to go down that today. But, but it's a good place. And the beggar was in this good place, and the rich man was not. Verse 22, the rich man also died and was buried, where? In hell. Now, the, the, the New Testament word here, the Greek word is actually Hades, where he was in torment. Now, we'll read later in Scripture um, where death and Hades will be thrown into the poor. I mentioned this last week called the Lake of Fire. And uh, it's a pretty horrible place. And after the judgment, and it's an eternal... It's bad. It's just bad news. Okay, so the guy, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. Verse 24, so he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Okay, so this rich guy's in torment. He's, there's this big, huge chasm. He can't cross over. They can't cross to him. And on the other side, here's Lazarus, and Lazarus is is doing great. Things are good over there. So what do we know? What kinds of things do we know about hell from this? Hell is is a place of unspeakable suffering. It's just unspeakable suffering. Jesus talked about it like this. He said in Matthew 15, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, this is not Jesus saying, gouge your eye out. This is Jesus saying, Hell is so bad, you shouldn't want to go there because if you could gouge your eye out, that would be better than going to hell. so please don't go to hell, don't gouge your eyes out either that's This is not a case where Jesus is telling people to gouge their eyes out, but he's making a p- comparison here, and this is shocking imagery. I mean, gouge your eye. think about that that That's impossible to picture doing i mean it's just it's just shocking. Why would Jesus use? Such shocking imagery. Now, we're just about done with this part, but buckle your seatbelt for this next scripture we're going to read. This comes out of the Revelation. Here, buckle your seatbelt. We'll get past this. Now, we have an angel speaking, talking about in the end times um, when there's the Antichrist and there's a beast and there's an image of the beast. And the angel is specifically talking about people who are worshiping the the beast and the image of the beast. He says, They will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath, he will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast in his image or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. So, what does the Bible say about hell? It's called a fiery furnace, a place of burning sulfur, weeping and gnashing of teeth, outer darkness. I mean, I hear people make jokes and they say, oh, if I go to hell, I'll have a lot of company there. I'll have some beers with my pals, and we'll play poker. But It's not at all going to be like that. It's just not. It's, this is very, very difficult, harsh stuff we're reading here. There's a word, another word that's translated as hell in the New Testament. It's, it's Gehenna. And um, um, it's used in 11 different verses. And it comes. the name Gehenna comes from a place called the Valley of Hinn, Hinnom. Which is a real place south of Jerusalem. And at one time it was a place where the false god Moloch was worshipped. And so there would be fires there and there would be grave and there would be statues of this guy. And the way that they worshiped Moloch was they took their firstborn son and burned him. Eventually, over time, this place became like, like it was a big, big, huge city dump kind of a deal. And it would be a place that people would take you know, the bodies of dead criminals and burn them there, and they would take the garbage from the city. And it's described as a place that the fire would never go out. It would never go out. There would always be burning there, there was always, and it was disgusting, and it was hot, and it was just... And that is a picture, a poor picture but probably one of the best frames of reference that the people in those days had to what God was saying. Hell was this a bad place. It's just a bad place. And so now here's this rich guy, and he knows now he's in hell, and now his strategy and his approach for tomorrow is completely changed. Luke, uh, back into Luke 16, starting in verse 27, he says this Then I beg you, catch the emotion from this guy. He's begging. He's, he's really fervent about this. Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. He's full of emotion here because he does not want his brothers to come here. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. What do we know about this rich guy? He believed in hell. His life at that moment now reflected a very sincere desire to warn other people, to keep other people from going there. And most of us, most of the time, that desire does not make it out. It doesn't. It just doesn't. Because I think that if we really, really took this um, as seriously as I know I should and don't sometimes, I think I, think I would probably behave differently. I mean, I think, I think what happens is this. I think my intellect understands this but my heart doesn't want to face it. And I'm comfortable spiritually because I know I'm secure. That's really incredibly selfish, but I'm being incredibly transparent with you. So I feel secure. And my head says to my heart, don't deal with this because you'll be viewed out there as a kook. You'll be viewed out there as a Bible thumper. You'll be viewed as a Jesus freak. And you live in a politically correct society. They can choose They can make their own way. And that's all true. That's all true. But I'm not so sure that the Holy Spirit always wants me to let my head tell my heart how concerned to be about people going to hell around me. Because it's hard to admit all this, but it's true. And I think it's really common. I think our society trains us. I think our society pushes us to become this way. Uh, my son Ben works at an engineering firm, and um, you know there, he's there too many hours. And he and I were just talking about work the other day, and I think at some point when you're doing these technical things, you gotta you gotta give your mind some rest from time to time. So I, you know, I was talking to him. Well, do you like do your email or do you take a break sometimes? He's yeah, but we're not supposed to do anything religious on the computers. Nothing religious allowed on the clock or off the clock on the computers. Why? Oh, because somebody somewhere took it too far i don 't know what happened um, but um, no religion we're we 're put there by our employers to whom we must be submitted but but we but our society puts us there. be politically correct don 't say anything and in the meantime, Terry and Lisa have neighbors, really nice people. we love them we 've got great neighbors to the left to the right in front you know they 're all around us, and i I don't know. I'm going to do something about this. I don't know what I'm going to do quite yet. i got to figure that out, but I'm not going to let this go. I'm just not going to let this go. They're probably going to drive me out of the neighborhood. Okay. They wouldn't do that. Anyway, so we, we're almost done here. I'm going to get four quick lessons from the other side, and uh, we're pretty much going to be out the door. Four quick lessons that we can pick up here from the other side. One about, Lazar, about, about the rich man. He was fully conscious. His memory was active. He was aware of the pain. He wasn't in some kind of soul sleep. He was fully conscious. Second thing is his eternal destiny was irrevocably fixed. He couldn't buy his way out. He couldn't beg his way out. It was what it was. His eternal destiny was already settled back when he was on the earth. There was no way out. Number three, he knew what he was experiencing was just. Notice this. You hear him complain about the pain, but nowhere does he say, hey, this isn't fair, it's not right, it's unjust. He doesn't say that. He says, this hurts, can somebody help me? Can you keep other people from coming here? But nowhere does he say, what's the deal? This is not, he doesn't say that. This is just, he he knows it's just. Number four, he pleaded for someone to help his loved ones know Jesus. This guy really believed and understood the reality and the horror of hell. And most Americans don't. Most Americans don't. I think Satan wants to convince you and me that hell is not real, or that it's just not that big a deal. Because if he can, people all around the world can just reject God and there's no fear whatsoever. And I think we see that happening every single day. I think we do. And because if he can convince us of that, then we won't share our faith that Pew poll says 47% of Americans nearly half will not share their beliefs with non-believers and um, I, I just want to say to you this and hopefully encourage you in this I don't want to scare anybody in hell I don't think that's righteous I'm not trying to do that but as part of the part of the word of God God wants us to be aware of this he wants us to understand this not so that we'll wallow in it or be afraid but it'll help motivate us to share good news with people that need to hear it. And you know what? I want to say this. When you decide to trust the Lord with more than your lifestyle as an example of the people around you, when you decide to trust the Lord and say to somebody, hey, tell me what you think about this or tell me what you think about that, there will be times where people will just reject you. They'll say, hey, that's nice. don't talk to me about that. Okay. But there will be other times where people will say, I don't know kind of funny you mentioned that because I'm not too sure. And you need to hear that and see that not just as an opening door, but you need to see that the hand of God is opening that door. And when those moments come, if you lean into God, he'll give you the grace and the wisdom for how to share with that person the way that they would need to hear it because the Holy Spirit will be involved. I just want to encourage you to seriously take this before the Lord and to ask him a couple of questions. Ask him to build your heart on this topic. Lord, help me to be more available to share the gospel with the lost world. Help me. Now, many of you really are good at this, so I hope you don't all feel thumped on. I don't mean to do that. I just need to motivate me, too, in this process. Second thing is that I think that, and the Lord will answer these, these prayers, ask him for a gentle love ask him to give you a gentle love for the lost so that the words you share are full of life full of hope because the Lord has never given us a spirit of fear but of love power and of a sound mind you're not going to scare anybody into heaven you won't do that you just won't when I when I look at Jesus talking to people about hell you know he was warning people it's interesting that he wasn't talking to tax collectors and prostitutes and drunks. He was talking to the religious folks. He was talking to the Pharisees, those who claimed faith. And that can be a little bit sobering to me. I think, for me, I can get real black and white about this. We either believe in hell or we don't. And if we do then it ought to affect the way that we talk to people around us. It really should motivate our love for the people around us. And believe me, I'm in the front of this line. I need to get in the front of that line. So let's pray. Lord, we um, really, in a a topic like this, this is hard. Just want to cozy up next to you. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful, Lord, that you love me. I'm sorry, God, for the the times that I'm just petulant. And I'm sorry for the times that I have an attitude and I'm selfish. I wish I wasn't that way. I'm, I'm sorry, Lord, for the times that you seem to be opening a door somewhere and I'm too timid or too politically correct to walk through it. Forgive me for those things, Lord. I ask for more chances. I ask for more chances. As we're praying, if the Lord is saying to you, you could be a little more heavenly-minded than you are, then just repent. Just say, Lord, okay, that's me too. I could use more heavenly-mindedness in my life. Another thing I want us to pray for is if you have friends or family that you know you should be praying for for salvation and you maybe have not been as consistent with that as you could have been or should have been, let's pray for them right now. So if you can think of a person or two or five or 15 that you want to pray for their salvation just as a point of just you put your hand in the air and let's uh, let's just hold them up in behalf in behalf of the lord and say okay these these lord we're going to hold these names before you lord we as a family now bring before you these people we know and we ask god for you to intervene supernaturally Amen. We don't want any of these people to come to an intellectual conclusion. We want their spirits to become married to you, God. So we pray, Lord, against the the, the inclinations to try to, in, to, to to try to influence with intellect, Lord. That's certainly a part. But we need supernatural intervention. So we pray for these people. We hold these names before you and we ask for grace to enter in. We ask for salvation to make its way. We ask for the Holy Spirit, Lord, to court and to bring mm-hmm. um, bring these to you in the name of Jesus. And Lord, if we have a part in that embolden us to do that, grant to us, Lord, the ability to stand with your name on our lips. And one other thing that is, we're praying, church, if anybody here defi- doesn't have definite no- knowledge that you will be in heaven, I-, I want you to know that you can escape hell and be in heaven. You can know that today. There's no reason for fear and the Spirit of God will show you His way in heaven. He does not want anybody to go to hell. Listen to this scripture, 2 Peter 3. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to to come to repentance. I'm going to leave that scripture up as we leave, but let's finish praying and then we'll stand and sing. Lord, um, I just pray that if there are any among us that want to know that they know that they know that hell is not in their future, that heaven is only place in their future, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to them something of your saving grace right now. I pray, Lord, that, those who, that, if, that there wouldn't be a single person that would leave this place today not knowing that you love them and that their future is secure. If you've never opened your heart to the Lord before, while people in this room are praying, I just encourage you right now to say, open your heart to Jesus. Say, God, save me. That's all that it takes. God, save me. Let me pray with you and agree with you. I'm gonna look across the room and if you wanna say, God, save me, just, just, just give me a little hand wave so I can pray and agree with you. Okay? I wanna thank you, Lord, for a room full of saved people. I want to thank you, Lord, for heaven. I want to thank you, Lord, for love. In the name of Jesus, amen.